been to wait for this for the last 35 years. I mean, it's, um, it's, uh, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a beautiful sort of day, and we thank God for good weather. I, I, I was smiling to Sharon. I says, um, you may have picked up that report from the meteorology, or meteorological office recently that they had a summit down in the southwest saying there was going to be 10 soggy summers. It's not stopped shining since, but um, because uh, of, the, uh, of the level of the water. Um, and so God bless them, because every time they talk about it, it's going to rain forever, guess what? We get some sunshine, so the, the Lord bless them. Just to say that uh, two weeks ago, the 30th of June, um, was our baptismal service that I was up pumped about six o'clock, ready to go, and uh, really looking forward to it. We've got some fantastic stories, as you know, great people, and I had a chance to talk to every one of them about their wonderful decision as disciples of Jesus to get baptized, and of course never made it, because at 20 to 8 that morning, I got a phone call from my youngest sister, Helen, to say that my dad had passed away, and uh, he'd... um, He'd become increasingly frail over the last few weeks. Probably it happened a little bit sooner than we thought. And uh, he was at Carlton Hill in uh, a home there for the last few years. So I had to dash across there and got home about three o'clock. But I got home and the first thing I said, typical pastor was, so how did it go this morning to Sharon? And uh, she says, you'd have been proud of everybody. And I, I really am because the stories that we've got back from that have been fantastic. And so I want to say to the people who got baptized personally and publicly, I'm sorry I didn't make it. Um, but I am absolutely proud of you and these churches. And um, I've just been overwhelmed again by the power of baptism in recent weeks. It really does say something to the heavenlies. And it fuels the journey of what we are as a company of people. I put on Twitter that morning that this was going to take place all over the world. And last Sunday we had the joy of ministering in Andy's brother's church, Aaron in Exeter, great church. And guess what? A week last Sunday, they had baptisms. <clears throat> and then I was reading Twitter this morning, and somebody sent a tweet to Karen J. John, who lived in this city for many years, wonderful evangelist, and said, 14 years ago, I heard the gospel preached by you, and I became a Christian, and this morning, my boy's getting baptized. You see, you just never know what's taking place. So we're proud of you, and we're believing that there's going to be hundreds, and we say that carefully, Hundreds of baptisms in Arena Church in this next season of the journey of church. And just simply to say that um, on Friday, uh, on a beautiful day that seemed apt in many respects, we, laid, uh, we honored our dad's life and laid him to rest. Um, but I, I can say with absolute conviction on the basis of the word of God that my dad is with the Lord. And um, absent from the body, present from the Lord. The Bible says that's far better. Not better for us, but better for him. And we honor his life. And uh, so thank you for those people who sent cards and uh, people that give him lovely words of encouragement. There's nothing like the body of Christ, is there? It's just wonderful. And uh, the family really, really do appreciate that. Amen. This morning, uh, I'm going to be talking about a subject that uh, we engage in almost every time we come, certainly to Sunday church. I'd like you to go to Psalm 96 and verses 1 and 2. Psalm 96, verses 1 and 2, the psalmist says, Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord, all the earth. Sing to the Lord, praise his name. Proclaim his salvation day after day. And this week and next week, I'm going to simply be talking about singing. Next week, we'll drive it down a little bit to look at some aspects of singing and we'll encourage the song of the Lord, which is an incredibly powerful expression of song unto unto Jesus. 
But here in the Psalms, these Psalms in the 90s in the Psalms are often speaking about the greatness of God, the sovereignty of God, that God's in control, that God knows all things. And the call here to the people is that they would sing unto the, unto the Lord a new song, not only to the people, but to the whole of the earth. And of course, this morning, we've sung praises to God. The worship team prepared, they practiced, they planned week after week after week to allow us to bring our songs unto God. And we bless God for that. And we can underestimate the vital expression of praise and worship through song. And I trust that we don't. And I want to encourage us this morning not to and see some of the things that happen when we sing unto the Lord. You see, many people like to sing, not just Christians. Some of them are very good. But of course, as we find out through reality TV, some are very bad as well. And it never ceases to amaze me. I said, Sharon, how can that person possibly think that they're a good singer? But you know, some of them genuinely do. We thank, good that, we thank God that the judging panel soon puts them out of their misery and uh, gives them four crosses. Uh-uh, gone. You know. But the reality is people love to sing. What happens sometimes when people have a night out and probably become inebriated, it normally ends up, well, it probably ends up with fighting as well, but it ends up sometimes with a song. And there's all sorts of expressions of song that find themselves coming from our hearts. But I want to say, friends, this morning, there's nothing greater than the body of Christ lifting up a song unto God. It's amazing that in the earth today, literally millions and millions and millions of people like you and I, from all sorts of different backgrounds, have gathered together in all sorts of different contexts and are still doing it as people respond to their different time zone to bring a song to the Lord. You may say, well, Phil, I mean, I like, I, I like singing, but I genuinely am not very good at it. Don't worry. Because you can be part of God's choir. There's nowhere in the Bible where I find God saying you can't join in. We may not have you in the worship team and Julie may not be releasing you in your ministry. But the reality is that you can bring a song unto God. Here's what David Blomgren said about singing. He says, God has chosen singing as a primary channel of praise and worship to him. The appropriateness of singing has been seen in the fact that music originates in the very heart of God. But it is also inseparable from human existence. People love to sing. Within every move of God, friends, both within the word of God and since in the history of time, there's been a song. When David recovered the, the Ark of the Covenant in the Old Testament, which was a tangible sign of the presence of God, it had been away from the nation for years And the people had gone through a time of backsliddenness and coldness of heart. But the first thing that David did when he became king was to restore the ark to the very center of the worship of the people. And he was accompanied by a song. In fact, they erected a new tabernacle called the Tabernacle of David. He got musicians around. He got worship leaders. He released singers to bring the song of the Lord unto God. Every revival that's ever been taking place, friends, has seen preaching has seen moves of God, has seen often outpourings of God's spirit, has seen times of great repentance, but it's always found a song. It really is. When Wales are doing well at the Millennium Stadium in these days and they begin to sing some of the songs, they actually spill out of the old 405 revival. And people still carry that into the sporting arena of today. 
Some of the great moves of God that have taken place even in recent times have carried a song. The great move of God in Brownsville in 1997 in, in America carried a song. And uh, Lyndall Cooley brought a revival song to the Lord. And so we could go on and on. You see, the moves of God carry a sound. They bring an expression of singing unto the Lord. Here's the truth also. In every decline of the church in history, the passion, fervor, and enthusiasm for singing has always been doused and diminished. When the church, friends, is cold, when the church goes through backslidden times, when the church takes Jesus from the center of it, it always affects the song. And I'm thankful, friends, that we belong to a church that loves to bring a song to the Lord. We'll look at some aspects of that next week. But as I was thinking about singing, I was thinking about the amazing truth of reflecting and declaring something of the greatness and goodness of the Lord. Here's a definition for singing. To utter words with musical modulations according to a set tone, this producing vocal harmony. I'm not sure I totally understand it, but it sounds good. And you don't have to understand all the technicalities of singing to engage with it. Singing's not feminine. Singing's not childish. Singing reflects what God wants to draw from our hearts. One of the most powerful expressions of singing in recent times in the Church of Jesus Christ has been mandate. It's been led by Robin Mark, a brilliant Irish, Northern Irish um, gospel songwriter and worship leader. And Robin's passion was that it started with just bringing a few guys together from his church in Northern Ireland that began to sing to the Lord. It grew to thousands. And they hired the biggest hall available in Belfast to bring men together from all over the United Kingdom and beyond to sing the praises of the Lord. If you've ever not heard any of those CDs, I suggest that if you get hold of one, you'll find it. Because it's blokes singing to God. And it's amazing. You see, so it's not something we do in kids' church. It's not something we, we can't put aside and put into some compartment of the church it's something that sits at the very center of all that we do it's for men and women it's for boys and girls it's for young people it's for all of us to encompass an opportunity to bring a song to God remember friends he sets the example because Zephaniah chapter 3 and verse 17 says that he sings over us isn't that amazing he so loves the church that it causes him to have a song and in the few moments that we've got today, being conscious that it's his very warm, so not being too long, I want to give you four things that I believe take place when we really engage with singing. There are over 400 references to singing in the Bible, and at least on 50 occasions, there's a direct command to sing. Now, for me, if, if the Bible says something once, it's pretty important. But if it says it 50 times, I suggest that we ought to sit up and take notice. So what does singing release and reveal? Well, firstly, friends, it reveals reality. Psalm 40, verse 3, he put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to my God. If you read the context of Psalm 40, you'll find that the psalmist is talking about being lifted out of the miry clay or the pit and being set upon a rock. He goes on to say that he's put a new song in my mouth. Here's, here's what it's been like for people in this church. He sang all sorts of things about all sorts of people to all sorts of situations. But when you became a believer, something happened. It was a new song. It was a song like you'd never sung before because you realized that God had lifted you out of a pit, out of the miry clay of this earth that sought to drag you down. And it was something that you'd never been able to 
articulate or vocalize ever before. It didn't come from your head. It didn't come from your emotions. It came from the very heart and being of who you were, loved of God. Someone says that reality always sings, and it really does. Can you imagine church friends, and there are one or two exceptions around the earth that don't engage in singing, but can you imagine the church of Jesus Christ today gathering in complete silence all across the earth? It would seem unnatural. Reality always sings. It sings of the reality of forgiveness. That whatever we've done, however good or bad we think we've been, we all needed to be forgiven. And forgiveness, friends, comes again and again. It's forgiveness past, it's forgiveness present, and it's forgiveness future. I want to encourage you that sometimes if you felt that you failed, failed the Lord and let him down, to be quick to put it right. In 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9, by the way, a verse to the Christian church, not to unbelievers. He says that if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Why? Because if you allow sin to fester unforgiving, it will affect your soul. And the worship team will tell you that sometimes, and they would never do it judgmentally, they can sometimes pick it out. When people have come to church affected by things that have gone wrong, because it impacts on the song. You're forgiven. You're forgiven. You're forgiven. You're forgiven. You need to live in the reality of forgiveness. You need to realize that God's forgiving you, not because you deserve it, but because the price has been paid on the cross. And reality sings when we realize we're forgiven. Reality sings when we realize the power of salvation, to be saved, to be rescued. That's what the word literally means. And around the coast of our nation during these summer weeks, the rescue services will be very alert. You know, when we get weather like this, people's brains seem to sort of of get scrambled, don't they? You've got kids diving off bridges, tombstoning, you know. You've got people getting into a dinghy and thinking they're going to sort of go 20 miles out and there's not going to be a problem. All sorts of things take place because the sun's shining. I want to tell you, there's people there ready to come and rescue if necessary. To be people's salvation. And over 2,000 years ago, God looked into this earth and saw that a rescue plan needed to be implemented. By the way, it wasn't caught off guard because that plan was ready even before the foundation of the earth. But the time came to let Jesus come from heaven to earth. He came in humility and meekness as a baby. And he lived a perfect life. He grew in stature and favor with God. And he gave his life upon a cross. And here we are 2,000 years later, still gladly declaring the power of the cross and the risen Jesus to our nation and to the nations of the earth. And you know, Christian said to me even recently, you know, our prayer sometimes is just that more people would get it. They just get it. It would just realize that this is an incredible salvation gift that God has given to us. And when you get it, you want to see. We sing of the reality of our hope, friends. Hope is a confident expectation in the unseen and the future. And there are so many people in our generation that live without hope. It affects them in so many ways. Why did that lady jump off that cliff with that little baby two days ago, friends? No hope. No hope. Whatever was going in her head, no hope. And someone says that the church needs to be purveyors of hope. I'm always reminded of the butchers when that word's mentioned. No, some of you know what I mean. Purveyors of fine meats. But it goes wider than that. 
purveyors of hope, carriers of hope. You see, Arena Church is not just about Sunday, as you've heard us say a million times. It's about you going into the office tomorrow, the works canteen, the factory. Without even saying something, people know that you carry hope that spills out to them and can change them forever. And hope always sings. It's about, friends, the reality of the future. As we look into it, and I'll come back to it later, and realize that God's got a purpose for us. I was talking to Carl earlier, and talking about how he engages with the community bank on a Friday. And God giving this man, that had so much against him, a purpose and a future and a direction for what he's doing. It's fantastic to see. And when that begins to happen in our lives, we sing to the Lord. Reality is revealed in our singing. Not only in, our, in reality, but also in harmony. Because in Psalm, 51, uh, Psalm 95 and verse 1, it says, Come let us, plural, sing for joy to the Lord. There's an old song there. I'm t- I'm, I won't go there. But come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. You see, it's great singing on our own, but how much better when we do it with others? You see, I'm like Pavarotti in the shower, you know, but, but, uh, but, but. And when I'm giving an accompaniment to somebody on the CD in the car, boy. But you won't want to listen to me on my own every week, I can assure you. I'm so glad the Bible says, make a joyful noise to the Lord. Forget about being twofold, just sing it. But singing at its best reflects harmonies. It always has. I've always loved close harmony singing. I love Southern Gospel singing. So I like the Gaithers. I don't want the Gaithers to be the genre music of Arena Church. Don't worry. You know. But I like it because I love close harmony singing. Always have done. And uh, when Only Men Allowed won that choir competition two or three years ago on the telly, and they become they've all had to give up the day jobs. You know, they were singing seven part harmonies in that fact. Seven-part harmonies. Incredible. And the power of harmony is huge. So I'm driving into the office this week, and I'm listening to the radio, and there's this, this report from academics in Sweden. Some of you may have listened to it. And they've done a study on choirs that sing, people that sing together. And they've realized that when people sing together, their heartbeat and their pulse rate go absolutely in harmony together. They've done all the science. It reflects harmony across the group. Incredible. And um, they were encouraging people to sing together. You'll know that there's been an upsurge of people joining choirs in the UK through some of the things that we've seen on on TV and the the women come together, you know, the armed forces women come together and all the the moving stories of that. And Gareth Malone, my, if he could get the kingdom, that wonderful guy that brings people together from no sense of hope and he creates choirs. Wow, if he could get it. To bring praises to the Lord. You see, because it reflects a togetherness. And I love that. Occasionally I'll sing on my own, but I'd much rather sing with you. I'd much rather sing with the body of Christ. And I'd much rather do it with other people. But it reflects and harmony. And you know when we engage in that harmony arena church before heaven, that we are one, it captures the very attention of the living God. Because he says... Where people dwell together in unity or harmony, there I command the blessing. Singing not only reveals harmony, and it not only reveals reality, but it also reveals victory. Psalm 30 verse 11 says, You turn my mourning into dancing, that my heart may sing praise and not be silent. 
By the way, don't anybody quote to me a Bible verse that's not in the Bible that says, I like to praise, but I do it in my heart, and it's not there. Okay? You can't praise God silently. You can't praise God. You can worship intuitively, quietly, but praise is about vocalizing something. It's the fruit of our lips. And if you read the Psalms superficially, you'll think sometimes you'll misread it. You'll think it's about one giant celebration, jubilation, and huge spiritual party. I encourage you to read it again, all of them, including Psalm 119. I encourage you to read the Psalms, and you'll find that in the Psalms, the psalmist has to navigate times of rejection, discomfiture, dejection, disappointment, times of loneliness, times, friends, when the psalmist rails against God for his silences, and God seems to be doing nothing. But you turn my morning into dancing that my heart may sing praise and not be silent. And Christian and me and the leadership team of this church, the elders and the wider team are very conscious at times in a growing church that almost always every week of every month of every year, we've at least got somebody in Arena Church that's having to process a difficult time, a giant, a mountain, Something that seems sometimes almost inexplicable. It's so painful. But faith, friends, doesn't promise to take us out of those things. But guess what it does? It promises to take us through them. And I want you to be encouraged that, and I use the word mourning in a wider sense than just the loss of a loved one. I want to encourage that this morning, friends, if your lot is to be going through a difficult time, If your lot is trying to come to terms with a sense of loss, a broken relationship, a job that's not worked out, a reduction in salary, whatever it is, God says he's able to turn that to dancing. It seems impossible. He's able to bring you to a place again where your heart wouldn't be silent, but you'd sing the praises of the Lord. And finally, friends, singing reflects liberty. Psalm 142 and verse 7 says, He brought my soul out of prison that I might praise his name. If I could say that carefully, that's literally for one or two folks. But the reality is we're all in a prison. And if I can use the illustration of Acts 16 to get the point across, I think you'll know where I'm going. Because in Acts 16, Paul and Silas, apostolic leaders, were called supernaturally to the capital city of Macedonia in called Philippi, in the will of God. How quickly sometimes people are are to tell us we're out of the will of God when it seems to be difficult. They were in the will of God. They were in the supernatural call of God. Come over to Macedonia and help us. And you know the story well in Acts 16 where they set free the demonized young lady who had been earning a very lucrative living for unscrupulous men that had traded off her. And they were angry. And Paul and Silas were thrown into the prison. In Acts 16.25, says about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. God says, I like that. I'm going to bring some release. And the locks broke from the doors. The chains fell off the prisoners in the deepest dungeon. And remember, they experienced a beating as well. And they were free to go. The custom of the day was that if the jailer lost the prisoners, he lost his life in return. And he was screaming out, saying, stop them. Paul says, whoa, don't worry, because none of us are going to leave. And he 
And he, he asked that greatest question that anybody can ask. What must I do to be saved? Paul says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And if you're not a believer this morning, if you're still on the journey of wondering what it's all about, please ask the question. Without overcomplicating it, what must I do to be saved? And the answer is still the same. If you believe on Jesus, you'll be saved. And the whole family got saved. And the whole family, interestingly, were baptized. You can read about it. What a journey. What an incredible liberty. And I'd like you to use that as a picture this morning for what God has done in our lives. The Bible says, whom the Son sets free is free indeed. But again, as I've spoken to Christian even recently, I've realized, friends, that's a journey that we've got to engage with. The price has been paid for your freedom. Now you need to take hold of it. Free from the past life. Free from the words of restriction that have been spoken over you. Free from the lids. Remember that prophetic word of the laundry basket all that time ago? The lids that seek to be placed upon your life. You're free. Free from your insecurities of forever wondering what other people think about you. God thinks you're fantastic. That's all that matters. Free from your fears. Free from your worries. Free from your anxieties. Someone said, he who sings scares away his enemies. And it's time, friends, for us to increasingly engage with the fact that the prison doors over our life and our heart are swung wide open. And God says, walk free, live free, run free into the wide open spaces of my purpose and destiny over your life. That's your calling this morning. And I want to say to people that may even have been believers for 15, 20, 25, 30 years, don't just wash it away and say, I've heard it before. How about this morning letting it be the word of the Lord to your life that changes your future? I close by reminding myself that someone said, some days there may not be a song in our hearts. Let's sing anyway. And if you do that, you'll be amazed at the difference it makes. See its breadth, its depth, its life, its vitality. It brings us to the very heart of God. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. As I said earlier, you may not be great vocally, but you can join God's choir on earth. And you know what? Nobody's going to tell you to be quiet. They may tell you to be a bit quieter, but not quiet. You see... I joke, but not even Simon Cowell can get you out of God's choir. Isn't that amazing? And what's more, you've got three yeses, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Come on. (laughs) And as Arena Church continues to release the sound of singing from earth that touches heaven, things happen. Let's pray.